Welcome to Arise Esther, a podcast for today's Esthers, women who are ready to rise up with courage and faith like Esther of old, who stepped up to lead when life was tough but faith was fierce. Hi, I'm Dawn Scott Damon, your podcast host. I get to talk to some of the most resilient women on the planet, all who faced trials head-on and triumphed. Now we're here to help you do the same. So turn it up, Esther. This is your moment. Thank you, everyone, for being with us again this week. And welcome to the three-part series that we're having right now on ministry and specifically women in ministry. What does God have to say about women in ministry? Yes, we agree. It is a hot potato but we still want to have a conversation about it. And it's our heart just to kind of enter this conversation. Um, As we look at the word of God, we want to have fresh eyes and an open heart, leave our bias and our preconceived ideas, maybe set them down, put them in timeout for a bit, because we believe that the Bible properly interpreted teaches the fundamental equality of men and women and releases women to minister freely and hold places of leadership. Well, we're going to get into all of that. Mm -hmm. So today we're going to kind of look at what Jesus has to say. But before we get into all of that, I want my amazing panel to greet you, say hello, and introduce yourself. We'll go with Julie. Good morning, Julie. Good morning. I'm Julie Coleman. Um, I'm a writer and speaker. Um, I have several books out. Um, My latest one is coming out in February called On Purpose, Understanding God's Freedom for Women. And so I'm very delighted to be a part of this discussion. Yeah, we're excited about your book that's coming out. And you're also the author of another book called Unexpected Love. Tell us about that. There it is. Just happen to have a copy here. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's, um, I, I was raised in a very conservative church and I was, um, always told that, you know, God wants to work through men and women were there to support. And so, um, and I always wondered about that, uh, because of things that I saw. And, uh, finally, um, I decided I need to find out what God thinks about women. I need to study it for myself. And, um, so I started looking into all the conversations that Jesus had with women because he's God in the flesh. And so if I saw how he interacted, then I would be able to understand God's heart for women. And so I started looking at stories. One was the, um, uh, the hemorrhaging woman who got called out for touching his cloak and he called her out right in front of everybody and embarrassed her. Uh, another time uh, he called a woman, the Syrophoenician woman, um, you know, the, the, like the dogs under the master's table looking for crumbs. And uh, even when Mary asked him about the water or the wine that had been, uh, been finished at the wedding ceremony and asked Jesus about it, he said, woman, what does that have to do with me? And I kept looking at these stories and thinking, Gee, it doesn't really seem like Jesus is all that crazy about women. So, but um, I had gone to, I went to seminary and uh, got a degree in biblical studies. And I uh, started looking through those, those passages again with the tools that I had been given, um, understanding the Greek language, original Greek, and, uh, you know, looking at the context and, and, um, and all the things that you do when you're bisecting a a passage to interpret it correctly. And when I did all of that, I came up with a whole different vision of who Jesus was to women, what he thought about them, how he interacted with them. And I'm telling you, I felt deeply in love with him, even more than I always had been. And uh, so that was, this book is the product of all of that. So I, and we're so 
excited and glad and thankful that you were curious about that and that you went to study because now we have the fruit of that work and and the revelations that you received. And there are so many women who actually have been hit and weaponized with scripture that really wonder, does Jesus love me? Does God really love me? So we're going to get yes. into that. And mm -hmm. Dina, welcome. Tell us, greet us. Good morning. Well, or good afternoon, whenever you're listening to this. Yes. <laughs> good morning, y'all. Uh, my name is Dina Dyer. If you can't tell from my accent, I'm from Texas. I was born and raised in Texas, and I live here with my husband, Carrie. He's a pastor. He's the worship pastor at our church. I help lead in worship. I'm also a mom of two young adult sons about to have an empty nest. So we adopted this guy that likes to be in on my Zoom calls. This is Sully. And uh, I'm an author and speaker, and my um, one of the books that I continue to teach on and has gotten a, a good response in the book of my heart is called Wounded Women of the Bible. And so my co-author, Tina Samples, who you guys know, and I looked at all sorts of wounds that women in the Bible had, and then we talked about how God met them in those wounds, and then we showed how he also does that for women today. So I'm working on a sequel, Weary Women of the Bible. I don't know if anybody's tired right now from everything that's happened <laughs> the last year and a half. Just a little bit. Yeah, so I'm looking at women, and my favorite one I've studied, and we're going to talk a little bit about later, is the woman at the well. I've been looking at her and working on a, a talk about her, and just how Jesus interacted with her was scandalous. It was amazing, and she became the first person that he told who he was, and she really became the first uh, person to spread the word about who he was in his ministry. So that was pretty amazing for those times. So I'm really glad to be here. Thank you guys so much for having me. Well, thank you for being here. And just a bit about myself for those who might not know it, but I'm been an ordained minister for over 20 years. I don't want to date myself, but a long time. <laughs> <laughs> and the lead pastor of a, of a thriving church called Tribes Church that has now merged with another church called Unison. Mm -hmm. And that's a long story, but a COVID reality. So we are excited to, to come together for this project. And, you know, we're going to talk about last week, we talked about our own stories and our own experiences. We talked about our specific call from God to be women in ministry, to be a voice in this mm -hmm. arena and not without cost. We've had some pushback and, but our heart is to share. We are deeply devoted and committed to the authority of God's word. We're not trying to play gymnastics with the word of God, right? We, but we believe right. that there is a proper interpretation but one thing that we've all discovered, perhaps, is that people are deeply beholden to the traditional interpretations mm -hmm. of scripture and rarely will allow themselves to rethink a position. And so your new book coming out, Julie, asks people to do that very thing. And that's what we want to do a little bit. So we've all talked about Jesus. I want to talk about that today. I mean, God and women. Can we talk about that? Because in the Old Testament, God used women in powerful ways and including leading and teaching men. And so God doesn't really count contradict himself, does he? Or does he defy his own principles? I don't think so. No. Can't help but no. think about Deborah. 
mm-hmm. and other leaders. And then what about Jesus and how he interacted with women? So let's dive into this a little bit because Dina, you used the word scandalous. It yes, <laughs> it was scandalous, wasn't it? Yes. So it was. um, let's start with you, Julie. Does Jesus think women are second class citizens? Are not are from we, the what? Oh, sorry. No, not from what we, we have recorded yeah, um, in scripture. He he um, he treated them uh, very well. Uh, stopped everything. Gave them his complete attention when he talked to them. Um, it, when I was reading through these accounts, it reminded me of a, a band director that I um, once worked with to do a variety show for the, my kids' high school. And uh, afterwards, all the kids would line up and they wanted to ask questions from her because everybody loved her so much. And I would walk down the line and say, you know, I was assistant director. And I walked down the line and say, I can answer your question. What do you need to know? Nope, they didn't want to hear from me. And they waited. And then when they would get to her, she would get down on her knee and she would look them right in the eye and, and give them like there was nothing else going on in that noisy auditorium, give them her complete attention. I felt like that's what Jesus did. He did that with the women and he stopped what he was doing and he gave them his focus. Now he's very conscious of who else was listening and, and things came out that he was intending to teach them with also, but um, he, he was always loving. He always met them where they were and brought them forward deeper into a relationship with him. And it's just a thing of beauty to see. So beautiful to see. And, you know, when we think about, you mentioned a few stories where, at first glance, you might think Jesus is just, mm-hmm. you know, shooing women away. But right. Dina, how does Jesus show the value of women in a culture really that did not treat women very well? They were women were so oppro- oppressed and still are in some yeah. cultures. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I think about the Taliban today and how Afghanistan's going and my heart just breaks for those women who are living under such deep, dark oppression. And, you know, Jesus wants to free them too. And um, over my life, Jesus has freed me more and more from different things that I grew up under and the things that Mm -hmm. even in my home that I was, I was dealing with that were just really oppressive and you know, even in a Christian home, my, my father was very controlling. And so I kind of got that sense of maybe God was like that. And God was somebody Mm -hmm. that was looking to punish me when I did wrong, or like get angry on a dime. I found out he's not that way. Mm -hmm. Look at Jesus. And even from the beginning of his ministry, you know, he started um, traveling with women disciples. The word tells us he had women disciples, which really wasn't done. And then um, he also think about Mary sitting at his feet in the story of Mary and Martha. Martha wanted her to help in the kitchen. And, you know, that story kind of gets gives Martha a bad rap. But I think the point of the story is that neither one of those positions was bad. Jesus was saying, hey, Mary is choosing to, she's actually sitting at his feet, which was what disciples did, what they did with rabbis if they wanted to follow them. And so he was saying, look, she wants to be a close follower and emulate me. If you look at the culture and the rab, rab, I can't say it, rabbinic, however you say that, the culture of how rabbis would have their students, he was saying yes to her. This is okay. He was also saying, Martha, you do you, you know, (laughs) you have your gifts, you have your gifts. And so when we look at that story, he's affirming both of their spiritual gifts, both of their personalities. And I love that. And then, yeah, Dawn, did you have something? 
I was just going to acknowledge what you're saying because yes, Martha had the gift of helps and hospitality Mm -hmm. and that was absolutely affirmed. And the rabbinical Rabbinical, style of the day where, where students could sit at the feet and they would get an education while doing that. And it's possible that Martha was confused that Mary would sit at the feet of Jesus as a student because women weren't allowed to learn and have an education. And so she might've thought that was a frivolous act on Mary's part. She might've even been feeling protective, like Mary, you're going to get your feelings hurt. You know, you can't do that. And maybe, you know, who knows what her motive was, but Jesus said, no, it's okay. It's okay, Martha, you can do this too. And so Mm -hmm. I'm going to let, so that was scandalous. It was. Mary was learning. She was learning yes. the scriptures and the gospel. Well, the gospels, what we would call today, but she was learning the 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 Torah and the the law and scriptures and and a new way that Jesus was teaching that was blowing everybody's mind at that time. Right. He did the same with the woman at the well. My one of my favorite things that I've been looking at lately. I mean, he he crossed gender. He, he crossed gender lines, he crossed religious lines, and he crossed racial lines. Mm-hmm. She was a Samaritan. And we all know, because we've heard in church, or I think most of us know this, Jews and Samaritans were like enemies, and they worshiped differently. And But Jesus crossed all of those barriers to seek her out in the hot part of the day, no one else around, and he chose her. You know, he, it was, he commissioned her, I believe, because he decided beforehand, I'm going to tell this woman who's had all these husbands who, you know, has had this horrible past, but he revealed himself as the Messiah to her, the first person he revealed that to. It's yeah. pretty amazing. That's pretty. And amazing. then she spread it all over. She became a missionary. Mm-hmm. So I see that as yes, Jesus affirmed women in their callings and he affirmed them in their personhood, which I think is even more important. You know, mm-hmm. I think, especially in the day when we have really, um, really prominent pastors telling other women speakers to go home and not to do what they're called to do. I feel like it's important that we affirm women. And, and even if you don't agree that women should be head pastors, let's put that aside. I have a lot of friends who don't believe that that's okay, but affirm women in their callings, affirm women in your church who want to use their gifts. Don't be unkind. That's not who Jesus was. No. Yeah, that's really well said. And, and, um, you know, I, as a lead pastor, um, understand very well what that argument is. And, and we'll, maybe we'll talk about that in a little while, but Julie going to you, how significant then was that, that Jesus unleashed this woman at the well, the Samaritan, this unmarried woman with six former husband, she has a past. Okay. Mm -hmm. How significant was that to be the messenger of this news? I think it's good news for all of us that somebody can come to Christ with that kind of a checkered past and still be used by God um, through forgiveness and his grace. And it's, it's just a wonderful thing for all of us. You know, I think when Jesus uh, asked her about, you know, go get your husband. And, and she said, and he said, and she said, I don't have a husband. He said, well, you had all these other husbands and now you're living with somebody who's not your husband. And he just kind of laid it out on the table. And that, that was another one of those things I thought, 
is he like treating her badly because of that? But I don't think so. I think what he was doing was getting everything out in the open, getting getting all, all the things that have been hidden, pulling right into uh, being um, discoverable and, and asking and telling her, I know the whole thing. No secrets. I still love you. Mm. I still accept yes. you. I still want you to be in ministry for me. Mm-hmm. And so she didn't have to worry about something he'd find out about her later. Right. It was all laid bare. And so that was just, a, a, I think, very freeing thing for her to have him do that. No secrets. I love yes. that. That's great, isn't it? That's such a great perspective because it's like, mm-hmm. you know, I know everything about you and I still call you and yes. want to use you. And so there's another woman that has a story. Let's talk about Mary Magdalene. What about Mary mm-hmm. that... Um, to be being delivered of, you know, these seven spirits. What about the woman caught in the act of adultery? Mm-hmm. What about the woman that you talked about that had the issue of blood? Mm-hmm. Jesus was not afraid to not only interact with women, but these were women who society had no time for. Can, yes. can either of you comment on those stories? You go, Julie. Okay. Um, well, I think that in each case, you know, just like the, the first, we just talked about the woman at the well, um, he kind of laid it all out there for them and, and kind of gave them any objections that anybody could come up with about them and just put them out there. I know, I know this about you. And he met them where they were. Um, in, in many cases, he forgave them of their sins, uh, but, uh, you know, and tried to send them off on a better path. Um, in this time in relationship with him. And so it, it really, each story is just a beautiful thing. Um, one of the things that struck me about the, uh, the hemorrhaging woman when I was writing my book on it, um, he called her daughter. And so I thought, what is the significance of that? And so I started looking and I noticed that the, the, the two stories, Jairus' daughter and this woman, the hemorrhaging woman, their, their stories are kind of sandwiched together in all of the times that the Gospels tell them. Um, and Jairus has gone, he's asked Jesus to heal his daughter who's on the, her deathbed. And Jesus said he'll come. And so he's on his way when the hemorrhaging woman reaches out and touches his fringe. Um, and he's and he stops and, and asks who it was and has this interaction with her. But he said, your faith has saved you, daughter. And so I, I thought about that daughter. I thought, well, there's Jairus's daughter. And she was bleeding 10, 12 years. And the little girl was 12 years old. And there were some other things that kind of connected them up together. Yeah. And so I started thinking, well, how many other people does Jesus call daughter? So I looked it up in my little concordance. And you know how many times he calls other people daughter? None, none, just this one time. That was the word that she needed to hear because she'd been abandoned. She couldn't go to synagogue. Her whole life was her as an unclean woman because she had this hemorrhaging problem. And it was just such a beautiful thing that he said the one thing that would have meant the most to her daughter. Mm -hmm. And that's what I loved about each of those interactions. It's just, it's just every time he kind of nailed their problem on the head and, and absolved it. Um, so that they could be in relationship with him. Yes. So we prove that Jesus loves women and that he interacts with women and that he elevates them, not only just out of this place of oppression, but shows equality. But that doesn't mean he approves of women in ministry or leadership or 
or does it? Is there mm-hmm. something significant about the woman at the well, Mary of Bethany sitting at his feet, and then Mary at the resurrection being the first person to see the resurrected Savior and being entrusted with the news? Go tell the disciples and Peter. So do we see a something here that can form a theology or an understanding that Jesus did allow and use women in significant ways to mm-hmm. teach, train, lead, or are we just, you know, stretching it? No, I don't think we're stretching it because uh, no. Mary was told to be the witness. And at that time you had to have uh, two people witness to something and women were not allowed to testify in court. So it's very peculiar that the angel would, or Jesus would pick the women <laughs> To go back and tell the men, um, if you didn't look at what his intentions were for the kingdom. Mm -hmm. I mean, even before he was Jesus in his ministry, you look at the very first part of his life. Mm -hmm. And one of the first people that got to see him and rejoice over him was Anna, who was a prophetess and who was a widow, very vulnerable, but she had spent her entire life dedicated to God's service. She never left the temple. She didn't get bitter about being married for seven years. She just served God faithfully and she was rewarded because she got to see Jesus and she rejoiced and she told all of the people in Jerusalem about Jesus. So that was the very first, you know, woman that became an almost an evangelist of saying, this is who, this is who I've seen. Look who I've seen. Look, she was able to die knowing that she had seen the Messiah. And even then he, you know, all through scriptures, you have to look at the new Testament and Jesus as the witness and the embodiment of who God is in all of scripture. So we can't forget that, you know, Miriam was a prophetess in the Old Testament, and it's it's a consistent witness through scripture. I think we cherry pick Paul out of, you yeah. know, his his um, his letters to yes. these churches and we cherry pick verses and we shouldn't do that. We need to look at the entire witness of scripture. Yeah, and we're going to do that in our next podcast. We want to talk about the villain, Paul. <laughs> Um, who actually is radically freeing for women, but he's been misunderstood. That's next podcast, but you bring up the Old Testament. So we've got Jesus making a statement among the culture of the day about women, elevates us, shows that we were not created to be subservient, that we are regarded as valuable, not like slaves and animals and children, but we are his valuable creation, is he at odds with his father? Does God say, okay, son, you kind of, you're going over the edge here. Or does God raise up women and love women? You talked about Miriam, the prophetess. What, what about Deborah? Does God contradict his own law when he uses women? Or is it just that there is no man available? And so God's just like wringing his hands going, I don't know what to do. I'm I've used a donkey to speak. I guess I can use a woman. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. tongue in cheek. Uh, that, that's a that's a very um, 
horrifying view of God, isn't it? Yes. Very he was horrifying. a victim of circumstances. So he got he was forced to use a woman because there was no good man around. And and what about Barack? He was a good man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, what about Barack? Right? Yeah. Right. So, so talk to us about that. What what does God reveal to us through these stories? You know, and these heroines or these the really for women, we look at we look at Sarah, we look at Rahab, we look at Esther, we look at Deborah, mm-hmm. the Old Testament, we look at Miriam prophesying Anna in the New Testament. Uh, Julie, what what do we see? Is isn't there a hierarchy? Isn't God contradicting himself? Um, I do not believe that God has ever um, dictated a hierarchy between men and women. When they were first created back in Genesis 128, he charged both man and woman to rule the earth together, have dominion over the earth and rule it together. Um, And so uh, after the, the fall, when he comes to them, he curses Satan. He curses the ground, but he does not curse Adam and Eve. What he does is tell them, this is what your life is going to look like now that you've introduced sin in the world. Wait, what? No, no curse on the woman? The look it up. Genesis 3, I forget where it starts, but 315, 316. Yeah, he doesn't curse them. He only curses Satan and the earth. And then he and then it, it, it that's a huge effect on man and woman. And then he starts talking about, you know, this perfect relationship you had bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Um, it's it's not going to be that way anymore um, because now that sin's in the world, you're going to have a, your desire for your husband. There's a lot of controversy on what that means, but and and he will rule over you. But it's not a command for men to rule over women. It's saying because of sin, that's what the relationship is going to look like. Mm. It's it's not a prescription; it's a description. And so, because there's no curse. Okay, guys. So again, it's a description of what's going to happen because the ground is cursed. And Satan is cursed and the sin in the world. It's a description now of what's going to happen, not a prescription. Right. It's 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 a it's a uh a change in the relationship that they caused by sinning, and, and now sin has been introduced, but there is no this is not God's um you know command, God's order. It's it's God saying, now my order, what I have with you both ruling together, has gotten messed up. And so it's not God, it's not a command from God, it's just a result of sin. Um, And so you can, when you understand that, then you can look at the ways he used women, even in the Old Testament, and say, yeah, he he didn't, he's not for this ruling over one person over another. He's not for that. And so he used Deborah, yes. And she called Barak to to work with her and and to go after uh, the enemy together. Um, and he he wanted her with him, not because he was some uh, wussy man trying to hide behind her skirts. He wanted her there because she was a prophet and she knew God's things, what, what God would want. And he wanted, you know, up to the minute commands from God because he was taking on a very large army. And so and so she was there for him to be kind of the conduit between God and and Barak as he led the troops. So and, and the thing is. If we start thinking of the um, idea of man ruling over women as something God wants, um, then so we, we keep that. We say, oh, we have to keep that in place because that's something God wanted. Well, what about man having difficulty r- raising crops, fighting weeds all the time? Is that something God wants? So if we uh, invent tractors and pesticides and all the things that make farming easier, is that against God's rule? 
Uh, we have no problem with, with childbirth, with giving women drugs and, and things to make the pain less. And we say, you know, but that was that wasn't that God's command that she should be in pain during childbirth. And so if you start thinking of them as commands, you can see how we have done our best to change out those things and, and beat his command. But the one sacred cow we have is man ruling over women. Yes, indeed. Sacred cow, indeed. And because you're saying what you're saying is the land has been freed and released to fulfill its potential through modern means. Woman's childbirth has been released and freed to to experience a painless. My daughter was in labor and she was watching TV with a remote control. And I was like, there's something really wrong about that right now. <laughs> giving birth with the spinal block and it didn't feel a thing. So we've been freed, but but the one thing that we traditionally hang on to is the hierarchy of men ruling over women, which grieves the heart of God, I believe, because it wasn't his intention. Now, people might say, yeah, but the woman was created to be a helper to man. And, you know, there's a lot uh, there, but you bring out in your book exactly what that Hebrew word Ezer, what that means and how that looks. And it is such a partnership. It is such a beautiful and, and seeing it operate in marriage, by the way, is beautiful and is how I believe God intended it to be. So I don't want to get too much in the weeds, but just to perk the interest of our listener to say, do read your read Julie's book, do some homework. But going back to you, Dina, and this whole idea of God using women, so he's not contradicted himself. And we're not plan B, right? No, we're not plan B. I love the the picture of in that story, Julie was talking about of the woman with the issue of blood. And when I studied um, there's a Bible study, Jesus and Women. Actually, that's what it's called by Christy McClellan. And she was talking about how the woman actually reached up and touched the hem of his garment. Well, that was a prayer shawl and it had tassels. Mm -hmm. And he basically in the Psalms talks about he's going to cover you with those wings. It's a wing situation. So I believe that God you know, he covers women and he protects us and he loves us. And he's, he's a, his heart for us is always to lift us up. And his heart for us is always to find freedom from those things that bind us. And again, I think that, you know, we, we come to scripture with a lot of different, a lot of different preconceptions, a lot of things from tradition in our culture. I'm a Southern girl. The Southern culture is very much um, a patriarchal culture. But um, I'm so thankful to have a husband who, from the beginning, we met as missionaries on a team together, and he always considered me as an equal, even though he'd been raised in a very ultra-traditional church. But I'm just thankful for that because our marriage has been one of partnership. And, you know, in the New Testament, I also see women, like you said, Mary Magdalene, when Jesus was resurrected and he was in the garden, she was the very first person that he he commissioned to go tell other people that he was alive you know and he he picked mary who had a checkered past and so you know she was the first evangelist after his resurrection and so i just see uh, this pattern of love and of um releasing and of commissioning yes Yes. empowerment 
I love Jesus. I love the more I study him and the more I study who he was and who he really was and not who we think he was or, or same with father God and the Holy spirit. They were all one, but we get them so mistaken when we separate and we look at the old Testament, well, that was God then. And he was an angry God. Well, there's all sorts of reasons for all of the scripture. So when we see the totality of it, I just fall more in love with who he is and his heart to release, not just women. He wants to release men into who they are and they're in become free to use all of their gifts and all the ways he's made them. And for us to be, like you said, Don, co-creators, co-laborers, you know, um, the scriptures say that in the last days, men and women will um, will prophesy, both men and women, the sons and daughters will prophesy. And yes. Paul says, as we'll get to next time, you know, there's neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female. He, he destroys those lines of race, of gender, of all sorts of social things, of all sorts of barriers that we put up as human beings to separate yes. us. Mm-hmm. Yes, and so as we bring this segment to a close, just coming full circle, that Jesus verified, validated, affirmed, approved, loved women, and he wasn't defying the Father. It was the Father's heart. He said, I don't do anything unless I see my Father do it first. In John 5, he says that. So we know this is the heart of God. Yes. And we know that the father, as we're going to talk about in the next time, we know that the uh, as Jesus ascended and the Holy Spirit gave gifts to men and women, that God has gifted women. And why then would he suppress half of the body of Christ, mm-hmm. half of the army, gifted, powerful, anointed and then yet suppress and say, you can't be used. And we don't believe that that is what indeed God has said. And so our traditions, you know, obviously God worked through a culture that was a male dominant culture. He, mm-hmm. he, we could look at that and say, I'm going on a tangent here just for a moment. We can look at it and say, well, in God wants man to have one wife, but David had a gazillion wives and Solomon had a gazillion wives and 700 as the one first grader said 700 porcupines and um, (laughs) (laughs) concubines and Kings had why? Well, God worked through that culture, but that wasn't his intention. That wasn't his desire. It's what happened in the culture. So we can see that, um, that women experience some oppression due to the culture, due to, due to all the things we've just talked about, but not God's original design. So we're going to get into that next podcast. And until then, final words, Julie. Just know that we are loved every bit as much and valued every bit as much, um, whatever sex we are, male or female. And Um, that we can count on that because that's who God is and he doesn't change yesterday, today, and forever. He's still the same. Amen. Do you know? Amen. Yeah. I just, I want to affirm that and just say that, you know, go see for yourself with an open heart, a teachable spirit and see what God wants to reveal. You know, we don't think we're perfect. We don't think we have it all figured out, but we do feel like God has affirmed us in our callings and our giftings. And so we want you to feel affirmed in your callings and search out for yourself. 
what the Bible says. Yes. Yes. I agree. Well, this is so rich and so exciting. And we're doing this because we want to be a voice. Certainly we want to help women, but eventually this is going to culminate into a mini summit that we want to do together as a team on Jesus and women and women in ministry and biblical scriptures. What does God say both then and now how he uses women. So stay tuned, all of you who listen and watch to find out more details about that. Until then, all of you modern day Esthers and a couple of you guys who got a hold of this podcast, (laughs) we have a question for you. Is this your moment? to arise. I hope you've enjoyed the podcast today. And hey, if you've not done so yet, why don't you subscribe on Apple Podcasts so you never miss another episode. Or you can visit us at AriseEster.com. And while you're there, make sure you join the movement. Visit us today to get connected. For more information about me, Dawn Damon, visit DawnDamon.com. And while you're there, you can sign up for a free breakthrough strategy session. Until we meet again, keep rising. This is your moment.